Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. glad we get to have this conversation today as we uh, hop into the word and hopefully as you're at home you got your bible your notebook and your pen because uh, we're really gonna just engage God's word see what he has to say to each of us but I'm glad that we get to have it together have this conversation because I think the world needs more conversations like this uh, that we as two people who come from two different backgrounds ethnicities uh, that we get to actually meet around the common ground of the word of God I think it's going to be really, really special. And so I'm, I'm glad that we get to do this together. Yeah, I think so too, Pastor Bryson. It's an honor to be here with you. Um, and, you know, I'm really thankful to Pastor James for Absolutely. entrusting me and trusting you to have this conversation. Uh, Pastor James, I really appreciate you. Um, and I know that this is an introduction to some for me, but I work on the communications team here at Bethel. And, you know, I've been at Bethel since 2012. And I've had the privilege of uh, walking with this with this church, with our leadership. Um, it's just an honor to not only just be a, a minister of the gospel, that's just me outside of the context of any job description. You know, just as a believer, I have the ability to be a minister of the gospel, but uh, the honor of being entrusted to speak to our church family that, you know, I'm a part of and I walk closely with, with so many of you guys here. So, um, my wife, Therese, I know you're watching. Hi. My daughter, Journey, I know you're watching. Hey, baby. Um, and outside of all of that, I mean, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and I think that uh, as we come into this, um, I mean, I also wanted to say thank you to Pastor James. Uh, as he was sort of casting the vision for this moment, um, I, I think that what's going to be so cool is it, in the moment that we find ourselves in culturally as a nation, uh, that we get to have uh, and uh, a cross-cultural conversation around the common ground of the word, you know, where we actually get to uh, look together at what does Jesus say uh, about us. If uh, you haven't met me before, my name is Bryson, and I'm the youth pastor here at Bethel. Uh, my wife, Rachel, and I lead that together. She just did an awesome job of hosting and welcome you, welcoming you uh, to the service. Uh, but let's start to dive in yeah. to the word um, so a few years ago, we were on the way back. We're from Washington State, and we were on the way back to Nashville, and we were going uh, through the airport. There's this shop, and Rachel was finding some stuff. It was kind of a little bit of a girly boutique. Um, and so I did kind of what husbands do, kind of meander a little bit, yeah. um, just kind of let her do her thing. And I stumbled across this magnet set that I, I didn't even understand it, but I knew I needed to have it. It said, what would Jesus wear? Yeah. And so it's this, uh, this magnet Jesus with all of these different articles of clothing that you can put onto him to make uh, your Jesus look this way or that way to your liking. And I, I think what, what struck me so much about that, uh, and as I kind of thought, it, it's obviously satirical, it's a joke, um, but we sort of play this game of what would Jesus wear sometimes. And we'll go back, we'll go more into it in a second, um, but we're not new at this, that actually 
since the beginning, people have been playing this game of what would Jesus wear. And we see this classic example of the disciples uh, interpreting culture of their time of this, this game of what would Jesus wear. In Matthew 16, uh, verses 13, uh, we'll go 13 through 16. So it says this, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So we see here Jesus is talking to his disciples. And we need to remember that uh, these are Jewish disciples, Right, So he has his disciples, and he has this conversation, and it's almost, um, I don't know if it would have been just a casual, hey, you know, I was just wondering, uh, but we see later that it's incredibly intentional. He says, who do people say that I am? And these Jewish disciples start giving incredibly Jewish answers. That they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, others Jeremiah or a prophet. And I think that we kind of do the same. We take the pieces of Jesus that we've been exposed to, um, and and we start to piece together our image of who Jesus was. And you had a great story as we were talking about this, uh, about your upbringing and and how you saw Jesus. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, so many of us make these caricatures of Jesus based on, based on uh, our upbringing, based on our surroundings. And I remember there was a time as a youth, as I, I grew up in the church, and but there was a point of confusion as I wrestled as a young person on the idea of who is Jesus or what does Jesus look like. And I, I think we have an image that I want to put up here about these images. There's this European image of or a white Jesus. And I would go into my grandmother's house and this image uh, here is one of the main images, the image that I would see. And you walk into my grandmother's house and she has this huge King James Bible planted on the table. Of course. And then behind the sofa is this image of Jesus. And so that was my Jesus until, you know, a year or so later, I go into a neighborhood church and you walk into the foyer and there's this image of a black Jesus with, yeah, similar, similar to this Jesus, but I think that black Jesus may even had this afro, uh, afro. And here I am, you know, somewhere under 10, having, you know, this, this, my paradigm is being shifted because I'm trying to figure out who is Jesus, the Jesus that I, this image of Jesus that I've seen for so long versus this new image. And then there, then, you know, there's conversation in there, but, and there's buzz that goes around, like, what's Jesus black? What's Jesus white? And for a kid, I think that that's a lot to take in. Yeah. And so you you get to a point, like you said, everyone is dressing Jesus up to make Jesus feel comfortable uh, or manageable for who they are, their lifestyle, and and quite frankly, as we see here, their skin complexion. Yeah, and I think that it even, you know, we feel more comfortable Jesus looking like us, but I think it even goes beyond his his look, if he looks like us, uh, to, you know, some other attributes. Like, for instance, um, maybe... 
you're sitting at home and I've been here before that you might gravitate towards white Jesus or black Jesus. Maybe you gravitate towards hipster Jesus. Yeah. Obviously, skinny jean wearing uh, glasses Jesus. He's trendy. He hangs out at the barista parlor. Yeah. And this is the Jesus that, man, this is, it's, it's cool to be a Christian. So yeah. I don't know if you've ever uh, been in that situation where uh, you're like, man, that's the Jesus I want to follow. Because this Jesus, he doesn't really care about me making sacrifices, uh, you know, for, for the kingdom. He cares about me being cool. Yeah, but, you know, you can't neglect the idea of a rich Jesus. And that's the Jesus that is all about <laughs> money, 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 or the life of the, the prosperous life. The Jesus that is always above and never beneath. As a matter of fact, he can't even identify with the people that's beneath, right? Absolutely. And so there's this there's this trap that we fall into where Jesus doesn't want me to live a life of poverty uh, because Jesus doesn't identify with poverty. Jesus identifies with those of us who are the most elite, those of us who are in the highest tax brackets, and those of us who have the in abundant given capacity. It's the 1% Jesus. The 1% Jesus. So it's Jesus, he got the $100 bills yeah. ready to go. And so we have white Jesus, black Jesus, rich Jesus, hipster Jesus, and we have another Jesus. This is Jesus the judge, yeah. right? Judgmental Jesus who sits uh, in his ivory tower and looks down at the little uh, ants that we call us. Yeah. And so this is Jesus who uh, cares about justice, order, and religion. This is Jesus that's sitting on the throne. He's distant from us because we know he's so holy, so pure uh, that, that we could never even get into his presence. Sometimes we make that Jesus. Yeah, we say, Jesus, I know he's, uh, I know he's holy. He's so holy. I can't even you know, uh, be close to him. Yeah, that's an untouchable Jesus. But you cannot neglect the Jesus of all things are super cool. So you got the casual <laughs> Jesus. And that's the... Casual this Jesus. Is, this is the you only live once Jesus. <laughs> this is the live your best life Jesus. Uh -huh. You know, this is the Jesus of, yes, you know, go, go and do whatever makes you happy. Go and do whatever makes you feel good. Because you go to church or because you stream church online, then you are in, then, then you have me in a place of lordship and, and, and as your savior. And we know that that is not the truth. But again, it goes back to this idea when you look at all of these Jesus, these images or these ideas of Jesus, where we are in a position to make Jesus fit our liking. Yeah. And I think the trap, as the, 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 the true trap that we fall into more often than not, is that we want to make Jesus be more like us so that we can be comfortable, yeah. opposed, to, opposed to stretching outside of our comforts so that we can be more like Jesus. That's absolutely right. I think that, because uh, when the disciples start saying, you know, maybe you're Jeremiah or Elijah, they're turning Jesus into something that's comfortable for them, yeah. that they can understand, that they could even control in a sense. Because I think that we're a lot more comfortable making Jesus into our image mm -hmm. than being willing to be conformed into his. Yeah. That we want a Jesus uh, that looks like us, talks like us, votes like us. Uh, he would never make me do something that I'm not comfortable with. He's passionate about what I'm passionate about. And all of the sudden, we, we have this construct of Jesus. And yeah, we, we kind of uh, poked fun a little bit and had a, a good time, but we all do this. Mm -hmm. We create 
this, this caricature of Jesus? Have you ever been to uh, like uh, the state fair or the park or, or somewhere where they're drawing pictures, like cartoon pictures? What they do is they emphasize some things yeah. of your features and they de-emphasize other ones. And so uh, all of a sudden, you have this thing that, that looks pretty much like Aaron or pretty much like Bryson, um, but it's not exactly. And we do the same thing with Jesus where we maybe emphasize his grace, but we um, diminish his judgment, right? His or lordship. we His lordship. Yeah. Or we emphasize uh, even the opposite where we say uh, Jesus is law and order, or we de-emphasize, uh, or maybe we emphasize that Jesus, you know, cares about our prosperity, and we de-emphasize that Jesus uh, was a, a traveler. You know, yeah. he wasn't uh, a baller. Yeah. And, and so we all do this because we take the, the pieces of Jesus that we've been exposed to, mm-hmm. and we construct this image of Jesus. But it's not just uh, the Jesus that we throw assumptions on, but we got to also take into account that he's having this conversation in a very specific place. Yeah. It says that they're in Caesarea Philippi, and we actually got to go to Israel last year. Um, some of our pastoral staff, um, Rachel and I, were blessed enough to be there, and we got to go to the place that they had this conversation in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and it was actually a town, a whole community dedicated to the worship of false gods. So there's temples all along the side of this mountain. And you see over um, here, this massive cave, they actually called it the gates of Hades because this is a place where people would come and make sacrifices uh, to gods to get something from them, right? I'm gonna lay this down uh, so I can get satisfaction, wealth, uh, love, fertility, whatever it is, uh, they would come to sacrifice. And so Jesus here chooses this venue to have this conversation. He's in the midst of all of these idols, all of these worldly alternatives. And so he has those on one side, and then he has all of these assumptions about Jesus on the other side. That he has, uh, he's uh, surrounded by all of these misconceptions of who Jesus is and who God is. And he chooses this moment to ask the disciples, who do people say I am? And then a more specific question. Verse 14 says, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, what's what's interesting about this text is that Jesus isn't asking a community, who who do you say I am? He's asking specific people uh, on who do you say I am. It's like he's asking Aaron, he's asking those who have walked the closest with him. And not just this worldly perspective of who, of who I am, but those of you who have walked closely with me, who am I? And in the relevancy of Jesus specifically talking to those Christ followers, those who have walked with him the longest, is because their response is pivotal. Their response is crucial in the moment like they were in in that time, as crucial as it is in the moment like we're in now. Because the world is watching for our response. The world is watching for the response of the believer. The world is watching for the response of those who follow Christ to give the 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 accurate answer, the accurate response of who Jesus is. Uh, and it's interesting, I, I, I'll read it again. You know, they said John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, or Jer- Jeremiah, all of these are respectable answers. Yeah. All of these are good answers, but every single one of these answers are 
can you guess what? Inaccurate. They're wrong. Yeah. They're just wrong or inaccurate. The challenge is, um, if you if you walked with Jesus for this long, like his disciples have, then do you have what it takes in the moment, in a contentious moment, to give an accurate answer, an accurate response of who Jesus is? Because we have that right now. Like you said, the world is watching. If you call yourself a Jesus follower and your friends know you're a Jesus follower, your family uh, you know, knows that you're a Jesus follower, then they're looking at you. They're watching uh, in this moment because... It's not just a curiosity, who do you say Jesus is, but there are some very real emotions, very real concerns, very real fears, anxiety. Uh, right now, we're, people want to know, does Jesus care? Yes. Does Jesus care that I just lost a loved one to the coronavirus? Does Jesus care that people who are my skin color are getting shot? Does, does Jesus care that I'm worried about sending my son to the grocery store? Yeah. There's some really real things out there that people are looking to believers and saying, which Jesus are you, are you following? Because the question to us believers is, which Jesus are you going to point them to? And yeah. in, in, in addition to that, the flip side of it is, which side is Jesus on? Wow. So is yeah, Jesus, that's good. Is Jesus on the side of the protesters? Is Jesus truly on, on the side of the police officers? Is Jesus on the side of the government? Is Jesus on the side of the peacekeepers? And I think what what we have a responsibility to do when, as, as Jesus posed the question, who do you say I am? We have a responsibility to shine a light on the, the actual stance that, or the actual position that Jesus is. Because Jesus, uh, contrary, contrary to popular belief, it's not, belief is not on either side. Yeah, wow. So he, he goes on to say, who do you say that I am, Christian? Uh, Jesus is asking you today, uh, I don't care what other people are saying, who do you say that I am? And, and here, we've talked about maybe some of the misbeliefs that we can have, but Jesus starts to clarify. Yeah. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, who gets it right some of the time, gets it wrong more of the time, um, but this is one of the moments he gets it right where he says, uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus makes this statement, rather, uh, he confirms what Peter says and builds on it uh, that like you said, I'm not on this side and I'm not on that side. Uh, I'm neither this nor that. I'm above all of it. When he says, I'm the Christ, he's saying, I'm the anointed one. Uh, or it can also be translated as the Messiah, the deliverer, that I'm here to actually deliver you from your assumptions. I'm here to deliver you from these alternatives, that uh, I'm actually here to bring a, a better covenant, right? It's no longer about you versus me, but it's uh, Jesus comes and says, I'm above this. I think about you know, uh, so often we can turn life into a dodgeball match yeah. where it's you versus me, right? And so whether it's uh, Republican versus Democrat, it's black versus white, it's, uh, you know, this versus that. 
And we can turn life into a dodgeball match. And it, it, it's like we both claim Jesus on our team. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Jesus is on my side. No, yeah. no, Jesus is on my side. Yeah. And we operate in this game as if Jesus is on our side, only to find out that Jesus was never playing dodgeball. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is actually found somewhere between us. Yeah. And this is where I think we start to see Jesus in, in this text and Jesus here that as uncomfortable as it can be, so often Jesus isn't on your side or my side. Jesus is in the messy middle. Absolutely. That Jesus didn't come down uh, to pick sides. Jesus came down to reconcile us yeah. to the Father. Yeah. Right, That Jesus, as uncomfortable as we may be because we have these constructs of who he is, that of course he agrees with me. Of course Jesus is passionate about what I'm passionate about. Of course Jesus votes like me. Of course Jesus looks like me. Uh, but Jesus uh, says that, that we need to drop our predispositions uh, about who he is and step in to this messy middle. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting is that you give this analogy or this illustration about this sports uh, analogy of playing dodgeball and Jesus picking sides or people thinking that Jesus is on their side. Mm-hmm. And I think about even a boxer. You, each boxer comes into the ring and surely Jesus is in my corner and you find yourself. And I think the reality is when you talk about this messy middle is that we realize that Jesus is actually in the middle, in the middle, quote unquote, officiating, officiating the, the match. And What's so interesting about this is that, you know, the Lord's Prayer is one of my favorite prayers. I pray this with my daughter all the time. But there in that it says, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you think about all of these positions that we assume that Jesus has in our life, we have to, to look at the scripture and be able to take a step back and realize that Jesus is in the messy middle officiating the business of a kingdom that is to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's so good. So he's not playing by our rules. He's not playing by our, uh, or making decisions based on our circumstances, our environment, or our surrounding. But Jesus is doing the business of his father and in officiating the governing rules, the governing policy of a kingdom that is to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's so good. Because we live in a world where it's either or, right? You're on this side or you're on that side, but Jesus is found in the messy middle. That it's not that Jesus took your side or Jesus took my side. And I think that at the end of the day, in this picture of of Christ-likeness, that it's not uh, like reconciliation doesn't come by you being less black or me being less white. Like Jesus isn't asking you to sacrifice your blackness or me to sacrifice my whiteness. It's not about me looking more like you or you looking more like me. It's about us looking more like Jesus. That when we can let go of uh, what we wish Jesus was and actually uh, maybe listen to one another and, and say, you know what? Actually, maybe Jesus does care more about social justice than I've given him credit for. Or maybe Jesus does actually want me to pray for my enemies. And when we can lay down what we wish Jesus was and pick up who he actually is, Mm -hmm. then, I mean, Jesus promises right here in the text. He says the gates of hell can't prevail against that kind of revelation. 
And because in that, he says, uh, Peter, now your name, uh, or Simon, now your name is Peter. Uh, and you're going to be a rock. And we get our purpose when we come to that revelation. Uh, we get our authority when we come to that revelation. And Jesus can actually do something when we actually make him the one in control instead of us the one in control of him. Yeah, what's, what's interesting is Jesus said, on, on this rock, I'll build my church. And there, contextually, we have to look and see, did, did Peter have an opportunity to change? Did he have an opportunity to go anywhere and be different? Or did he have to become the rock in which the church was built on, on that at that time, right in that moment? Uh, just a quick, quick, little, quick little story is when I, when I received salvation, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, one of the things that actually frustrated me is that God decided to change me, transform my life right in the moment, right in the time and place where I was. And I was a student on the campus of Tennessee State University, and I had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus changed me in that moment. And one of my biggest prayers as a 20-year-old college student was, Lord, let me transfer to Mississippi State because they don't know me. Yeah. And I can go and Jesus, you can build your church on me there, but surely you can't build your church on me here. Do you know what I've done on this campus? You can't build your church on me here. And Jesus, God's word was, was his, his position was that I can use a broken vessel. Yeah. And he used me and he transformed my life right on the campus. And my character was transformed right on the campus. And and in that moment, I was able to to follow Jesus based on the character of Jesus, but not the color of Jesus. I know that we are speaking to a hurting world. Yeah. And something that I've loved um, just in, in our times we've gotten to know each other. I mean, we've we've laughed together. We've we've cried together. And I've outcried you. We have a, a, a competition <laughs> of who's cried the most. Uh, to each other, but really, like, the, there's pain right now in such a great way, yeah. um, and I think by so many, but there's hope in the message of Jesus, that when we look at this, it, it challenges all of us. Wherever you find yourself today, it challenges us to evaluate what Jesus have I created, because uh, this messy middle idea, it, it's only possible by one thing. Where is the messy middle? The messy middle is the cross. Absolutely. The cross is the messy middle. That you and I, uh, whatever differences we might have are laid down when we see the grace and the mercy that are given to us on the cross and because what Jesus did, Jesus actually came to earth, lived a, a perfect life. And when he died, what each of us has to reconcile is that he died for people like me yeah. and he died for people like them. Yeah. He died for people that vote like me and people that vote like them. People that look like me, that look like them. People that agree with me and agree with them that Jesus, the cross, is in the messy middle. And it, it, it's what brings us together 
that you saw as we created these constructs of Jesus, you and I got further and further and yeah, further apart because the only thing that that does is bring division. When I make Jesus that looks like me, that I'm actually the Lord of Jesus instead of Jesus being the Lord of me, yeah. it's only going to bring division. But when we look at Jesus, now there's stuff we got to work through. Yeah. I'm not saying let's just forget our problems and sing kumbaya, but we at least have a, a reference point. We have something that we're working towards. And as we uh, come kind of to a close today in our time here, I think that what we should be challenging ourselves to is addressing what Jesus have I created? Because mm-hmm. the Jesus you create, the Jesus you live for, is the Jesus you're pointing others towards. The, the sad part about it is when we create a Jesus that fits our mold, we di- diminish the power and authority of Jesus the Messiah, mm-hmm. of Jesus the living Son of God. So we create this image of Jesus, the casual image or the casual Jesus, the rich Jesus, the black and or the white Jesus. And in all of these caricatures, as we are dressing Jesus up, we dis- our idea, our model of Jesus strips him down of the of power and the authority that was given to him. The real Jesus can bring real life change. Yeah. The Jesus I create it's it's just a good idea yeah. you know it, it's just something that and makes it, me feel it, good and it, it makes you feel it makes you feel comfortable exactly it makes me feel comfortable but the real jesus can really change your life church if we're willing to let go of the construct that we created the real jesus can do something powerful in your life powerful in your family's life powerful in your community's life because if we decide that we're more attached to Jesus than our agenda, yeah. or Jesus than our preference, or Jesus than our fears, then we actually are creating a place for God to do something really amazing. And as we're doing these Unite Prayer Walks, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't think it's the only answer, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's a great start. Yeah. Because what we do is we, we pray for our city, we embrace the messy middle, and then on our walk back from the Capitol, every time we, we have to find someone who doesn't look like us and get to know their story. And I think as we pray together, as we cry together, as we uh, emote together, um, lament. as we lament together, yeah. exactly, then we really start to see some healthy change in all of us that we can look a little bit more like Jesus. Well, Aaron... Uh, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Yeah, me too. And can you can you just pray for us? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord God, we thank you for for your grace and your mercy that is sufficient, God. We thank you for being a reconciled people that have the ability to not only um, model what healthy relationships look like, but Father God, be a reflection of Christ. Lord, we're thankful that we have the ability to model Christ-like character, Father God. We're thankful that your son died for the sins of the world, that he wasn't uh, picking and choosing in particular, but Lord, he died for all of our sins. And so as we find Jesus um, in the messy middle, Lord, I'm I'm praying that we can meet him there, that we can be reconciled one to another. Um, Lord, and we're just believing that your transformative power will meet us right where we are, that you can continue to uh, advance your kingdom and advance the church, Father God, through us, your people. We're believing that this work is already done in the name of Jesus.
Amen. It was no accident that you were with us today. I pray that the conversation we were just a part of changes the way we view Jesus, view each other, and engage God. Throughout the week, my faith is encouraged daily through the social media channels our church uses. If you want to stay encouraged, you can connect with us too on Instagram at Bethel World and on Facebook at Bethel World Outreach Church. If you need prayer for anything, scan the QR code that's on the screen with your phone and that'll take you to the page where you can get prayed for by a pastor or a ministry team member. Thank you for joining us as together we're reaching a city to touch the world.